Um, the word angels, of course, uh, comes from the uh, Greek word angelos, so it's just one of those transliterated words. It just brought over to us sound for sound. Uh, even if I showed it to you, loaded it up here to, with for you in Greek, you'd see the very much even the similarity between the writings and languages of two words. I guess we could have, I don't know why they decided to use the um, Greek word to make more popularized. Uh, could have just as easily been the, the Hebrew word for, for that. Uh, both Hebrew word, malek, and the Greek word, angelos, both basically just mean the word messenger. Um, I guess coupled with that would be the concept of someone as a servant or whatever. The study itself will be um, encompass what I would refer to as all created spirit beings. Obviously, God in the Trinity is a spirit, but uh, the angels are created spirit beings. We are, of course, created physical beings, but we will look at those that are created spirit beings. They would include the cherubim, the seraphim, the dominions and powers, authorities, and so forth that's recorded also in the scripture. So there's multiple titles for these created spirit beings and, and multiple functions. Some of the functions are clearer than others, but we will work through our time through that. Um, today I'm just sort of going to do like a little bit of an overview. Uh, we're going to look at a whole bunch of scripture references. In fact, your sheet that you have for you probably isn't going to be real helpful. Um, had to type, did that set of notes early in the week, and then as I worked on the preparation, sort of uh, changed up what, where I was headed and what I was going to do. But uh, So we're going to open a scripture, get you to help us by reading portions of that scripture and get sort of an overview of where we're headed and then we'll move into more detail of different parts of the study in the weeks to come. What are some cultural misconceptions about angels? What if you just entered into, if you were brave enough or bold enough just to walk up to somebody in, in Walmart or someplace like that um, and say, that, what do you think about angels? What would be some of the cultural misconceptions about angels that are out there in, a, in the culture around us? Charles? Okay. They, they have a gender, typically might have a gender issue with, with angels. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Many people believe that men become angels after death. Okay. John? Okay. Okay. Sometimes they are confused with uh, objects of worship. Um, clear back to the Church of Colossae, back to the Book of Hebrews, both dealing with cultural issues where people had begun to worship angels rather than worship God. So that certainly is one of the uh, things. Also, what about any other concept? What's what's the uh, what's the picture? that might come to your mind about angels? What, what do you have in your mind about angels? Any picture, mental picture, Mara? The wings, the wings yeah. What are, they, what are they carrying around with them most of the time? Huh? A harp, yeah. How many, how many times have you seen a picture of an angel sitting on a cloud, strumming a harp? None of you have ever seen that, okay. Wow. Okay, the other thing that uh, sometimes I think that happens with our society, with the culture, is that they, they picture the demons as always being 
like frightening, always being this grotesque creature that would, you know, scare the life out of anybody that encountered it. And in fact, we know that they can be very subtle, very sly. We know that Satan himself is described as an angel of, of light, able to transform himself into an angel of light. So those are some of the misconceptions that we have around us. Uh, we probably are not struggling with those in our own minds or our own brains, but they are something that certainly is out there as awarenesses. <coughs> what also um, would be then some of our problems with our viewpoint of angels? What, what issues might we be dealing with with the matter of angels. <coughs> John's already alluded to one of them because as it's, as it's addressed in the, in the letter of Colossians and again in the letter of Hebrews, those were obviously believers that were misrepresenting who angels should be. But uh, what, what other things might be for us? They're not quite in the same category as what we just talked about with cultural misconceptions, but just some of the issues that we might need to deal with as believers. Little questions a little vaguer, a little bit more difficult. <coughs> Number one, probably just a whole neglect of this subject. We don't, we don't deal with it a lot. Uh, <coughs> I have some, a couple major, what would be referred to as major theological works on my, on my shelf at home that do not deal with angels. They're systematic theologies and they don't deal with angels. I guess it wasn't important to them, so they didn't deal with it. Um, a lot of superstitious maybe thoughts about it that could come from us knowing something about angels but not having a complete good picture of it. John? Okay. We can tell them what to do, okay? That there they are they're our servants in that direction. Uh, even though they are serving us through God, but, we're, but they're not just our beck and, on our beck and call, right? Is that what you're saying? Okay. April? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We just, we just don't focus on it. We don't realize that it's as much of a biblical subject as it is. Okay. <coughs> um, one of the books that I was reading uh, just emphasized the facts, again, something that John sort of referred to, but just an increased entrance, an interest and acceptance of things like the occult, uh, astrology, uh, Satan worship, and more relevant to our time, uh, and all that that would fall under the category of New Age. Um, new Age is nothing more than a whitewashed, glorified uh, worship of uh, Satan and, and demons. And so things that are associated with the New Age have to be very, very carefully guarded against because of the fact that they are really just... Um, Satanology in disguise, in camouflage. So, <clears throat> to move on from that, uh, again, so there's lo a lot of human-based ideas and, and stories and so forth about angels. Obviously, we know that Scripture is the only answer. Um, do angels exist? I'm just going to simply say for today, yes. Um, they're mentioned in 34 of the 66 biblical books. Interestingly enough, 17 in the Old Testament, 17 in the New Testament. I don't think that ma makes any difference or significance. The word angels appears in the English text over 300 times. So that does not make reference to the references to cherubim, seraphim, and the other references to the what we would probably believe are the demonic forces. But just the word angels itself appears in the scripture over 300 times. I think one of the significant things is the multiple references to angels 
in reference to the life and ministry of Christ, life, earth, Christ's earthly life and ministry. Okay, um, so how how was an angel associated with the birth of Christ? Lara, Gabriel announcing it, right? Okay, someone else. Now, John, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let John be your unless you guys are collecting something and paying him to answer all your questions for you. I, I understand that. So, so Tammy. They announced to the shepherds. So they, they announced both to Mary and Joseph, and then they announced to the shepherds about the birth of Christ. What are some ways that they ministered uh, to Christ during his, during his earthly ministry? Now you got, must have Laura on your payroll, too, because she's got her hand up. Beverly? Temptation. They, they came and ministered to him after the, the temptation. What else do you have, John? Mm. Okay. And then what, what about uh, Tammy? Yeah, okay, the Garden of Gethsemane. And then his resurrection. We know that, of course, they were present at the, at the resurrection. And then finally, what about the ascension? Acts chapter 1. Anybody? So after Christ ascended, the angels reported to the disciples, told them to go and be witnesses, and that they had a ministry that God had left them to do. We will look more into this. It will be, we'll divide up our study in, first part of our study will be with the uh, holy angels, or as, as the scripture describes them, as elect angels, and then we will, then we will end up our study <coughs> later in the spring on, with the subject of the evil angels, Satan, and, and the demons. Uh, first Tim somebody read First Timothy five, twenty one for me, please. <clears throat> John's going to read that. Then I need somebody to look at Matthew twenty five, and be ready to read verse thirty one and forty one. Matthew twenty five. John Stone has that one. And um, somebody to read Ma M Matthew twelve verses twenty six through twenty eight. Amos, Matthew twelve twenty six to twenty eight. <clears throat> So, John, if you'd read, John Luxon, if you'd read 1 Timothy 5.21, please. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without referring one to another, doing nothing by partiality. Okay. And somebody, the person has Matthew 25, read, read first, verse 31. John. Okay, so it doesn't describe the, the angels by direct adjective in that verse, but I think obviously the fact that they're coming with Christ and doing Christ's bidding does allow us to see that they are people that, persons that are still associated with, with Christ. And then, John, if you'd read Matthew 25, 41, please, John Stone. Okay, so... Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels or his messengers themselves. So the word angels obviously can be used uh, to represent both categories here. And finally, um, 
Amos, if you'd read Matthew 12, verses 26 through 28. And again, this is a verse just by association. That's fine. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Um, what about your favorite Bible account about angels? What, what what Bible story that has angels in it would just comes to your mind right now? You probably haven't ever maybe categorized them before as a favorite one. But what what Bible story that talks about angels is something that just right now sort of comes out jumps up into your mind and says, oh, I, like, I, like, I appreciate what I've learned about that when it's been encouragement, whatever. Sandy? At the tomb, okay, at the, at the resurre- resurrection of Christ, okay? Someone else? Charles? Okay. Yep, very much so. Very, very involved story. Can it? Daniel, shut the lion's mouth of the lions, didn't he? Oh, Daniel 9. Yep, absolutely. That's a very fascinating biblical account. Anyone else? John? Okay. John. The, the conflict in the battle, sort of also alluded to in Jude when there's conflict in Jude over the body of Moses. So, yeah. Okay. So, uh, there are numerous ones uh, that we, you know, I think if you gave you more time, you could come up with some more also. One of the things that we will be considering in this study is the matter of the titles Angel of the Lord and also Angel of God. And so we will look at those references, which again are multiple in, in the scripture. So like now I'd just like us to take and we'll just look through the scripture. We're going to look at some several re- references here um, and make, maybe make some comments about them or some observations. Maybe allow, allow you to make some comments or observations about them also. So if you'd like to begin, if you'd turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, please. Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to draw your attention first of all to the beginning of verse 5. Hebrews chapter 1, the author of the book of Hebrews says says this to his readers, for to which of the angels did he ever say, okay? So there's going to be a contrast down through this section where the author is comparing who angels are and what their function is in comparison to the superiority of Christ, that Christ is so so far superior, uh, not even comparable. Uh, so that, that's sort of the contrast that goes on down through here in this passage. So then over to verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 1. But to which of the angels has he ever said, 
Set up my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And the answer is that he's never said that to any angel because that's not who angels are. Angels are, were not created to be seated there by God and, and to become and to be, um, have enemies in subjection to them. The continuation of that, of that, so that's a quote that set up my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. I'm sure most of you can tell from your English Bible that that is a quote from the Old Testament. Notice verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who would inherit salvation? And so that is a question that is asked, and that question actually expects that yes answer that I sometimes describe to you or mention to you. Uh, so the author of the book of Hebrews is saying to them, aren't they, aren't they someone that's been sent to minister to those that shall inherit salvation? Um, this is the verse where probably the concept of guardian angels comes from. Uh, we will talk about that in our study as we move, as we move on forward to that matter. Um, but they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. But before we leave Hebrews chapter 1, let's go back and, and pick up and um, beginning with verse 5, which I've already alluded to. Well, let me back up and read verse 4. Uh, having become so much better than the angels, this is, of course, speaking, referencing to Christ, reference to the Son, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For which, which, to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. And so the son is to be exalted, and the angels are to be servants, are to be messengers, those that are serving serving Christ. So just sort of contrast the two of them, the idea that the, these angels are described here in verse 14 as ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation, contrasted with the fact that, that they are made, that the Christ is made much better than they are, and that Christ is the son, that Christ is superior to them in every, every way. So then all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and as I said, this is just intended to give us sort of an overview, a starting spot, I guess you might say, um, in our references here. Gen Genesis chapter 3, uh, probably the saddest uh, passage in the entire scripture, describing the uh, original fall of man and um, disobedience to God's commands. And in verse 24 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, So he, being God, drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, that's not a lot of information about the cherubim, but, but they come up. The name comes up right away here, and they are pla placed as guards. They are placed as watch, watch keepers, as overseers in this particular matter. One of the things that's not germane to our discussion, but just always interesting to me when I get here, is that this garden obviously was a literal, physical place, not just some kind of a mythical uh, story that's developed, because this is an actual place that man could access, but was no longer able to access because of God's direct intervention. So it just points, always, always, always reminded of that when I come to this passage, even more maybe than the idea that the cherubim, just the, the reality of the garden. Charles? <coughs> Correct. Cherub, cherub would be the singular, and cherubim would indicate the plural. 
um, of the words. So it does indicate a, at least more than one, um, probably multiple, but more than one. And then on into the book of Genesis, Genesis 16, 7. Again, these are just references. Um, I don't know, just to, as I was looking at it, I just felt like it was something that w was good for me to ref refresh my mind about angels in the scripture and the different uh, settings we find them in, the different uh, ways they are referred to. In Genesis 16, 7, um, Hagar has been sent out in verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, and goes on to continue the word uh, from the angel of the Lord in this particular context. I believe that, i just tell you up front, I believe that there, that there are some places where the title angel of the Lord are used or the angel of God are used that they are clearly uh, a Christophany. They're clearly a reference to Christ uh, who appears in some kind of recognizable physical form prior to his incarnation, prior to the time when he was born of the Virgin Mary and came to, to earth. Uh, I think there are some references that use the angel of the Lord where it may just simply be a reference to a, one of the messengers that God has sent out and isn't necessarily directly uh, seen as a Christophany or a Theophany, an appearance of Christ or an appearance of God himself in physical form. Um, I would tell you that <laughs> I am ready to be really, really dogmatic, that there are some places that clearly say that this is God. I think this is one of those. When, when, when the angel starts talking about, I will do this, I will do that, uh, an angel could not do that. An angel has no power to do that. So that is, I think, no, clearly a, a reference to, to uh, who, that this angel is Christ um, pre-incarnate. Also, um, then there are some that I will tell you that I'm not sure that it is a direct Christophany or Theophany. I will just tell you I'm not as dogmatic about the fact that it isn't. I just have questions about some of them being that way. So, but, I, but I wouldn't be that dogmatic about that. So I'll be dogmatic about the one that the angel of the Lord is often a reference to Christ or, or a, at least an appearance of God. Some of them may just simply be that this is just a descriptive term that God has sent out this particular messenger at this particular time. Turn with me over to Genesis 18, please. Charles has referenced this passage um, earlier um, as in, in reference he made. Uh, Genesis 18, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees, this is to, to Abram, as he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now find, found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. So first of all, we see that definitely the Lord, uh, Jehovah, uh, Yahweh, is uh, referenced in this particular passage. It's, it's the Lord that appeared to him. But notice then that it goes from this singular appearance of the Lord to three men. Um, again, so obviously uh, they had all the appearances of being physical, of being a man, being a person uh, in this particular uh, context. 
they go on down through to, to eat a meal, to share a meal and so forth together. And, um, and then in verse 22, it says, Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abram, Abraham excuse me, still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the riches, righteous with the wicked? So again, we have the three men. Uh, one of them is clearly identified as the Lord, as, as Yahweh. And then we have here in this particular verse, two of the men walking away, departing, leaving the, the Lord is also very clearly identified in this context as the one that continues com- in conversation with, with Abraham. So you have um, a clear reference to God being in this context and, and then what we're going to understand as being, as being um, angels that appear, they get, have all appearances of being, being a man. And then in verse nine, chapter 19, verse 1, uh, there's this long conversation, of course, how what, is, what does God have to find in Sodom and Gomorrah to spare Sodom and Gomorrah? Obviously, uh, even at the most minimal standards, uh, there wasn't enough righteousness in Sodom and Gomorrah to uh, get God's uh, sparing of them. And in that chapter 19, verse 1, now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Um, a good lesson in this particular biblical context of the importance of context itself because if you just sort of pick out one portion of the scripture and start reading it you could le- uh, be left with a bunch of confusion because of the way it moves through it was the lord and it has this, this you know the three and then it has the lord and two and and who and if you stopped it at the end of chapter 18 you're sort of left in question about who are the two that that uh, left uh, you have to get to chapter 19 to find out that they're described there as, as angels. So it's a, just, again, just shows that importance of really making sure that you read around the context to get, to get a whole picture and understand what's happening here. So all the way back to the three men early in chapter 18 to then become the Lord and two angels. And so we move down through that context a little bit that way. Um, in this particular context, I'm sure you're familiar with the whole situation, the story. Uh, Lot and his family are here in this horrible city, um, and these guests come in, and uh, these two angels come into them at, along the way. Um, and I'm going to pick up just for our sake today, pick, reading with verse 10. Um, and again, what's happened here is, of course, these the evil men around them um, wanting to to have for their uh, carnal pleasure these two uh, visitors uh, along the way and so forth and Lot dealing with them. Lot places himself in a place of danger. He does some uh, very stupid things in this uh, passage. Pardon my word, use the word stupid, but they, they were stupid things. Um, and um, it was down to the point where uh, the, this, these men have to rescue Lot. Um, but in verse 10 of chapter 19, but the Men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck and they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so they became weary trying to find the door. Um, and then the and then it turns back to verse verse twelve. It turns back to the, the, these angels. We turn back to uh, being described as men. Then the men said to Lot, "Have you want anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, or whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place." And uh, finally, for reading in this particular context, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters, who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. 
And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the daughters of his two, hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Um, and so again, we have the Lord appearing to, to Abraham. We have the two men slash angels coming back. And then the author goes back and forth between referring to them as angels or as men. Uh, obviously, the author is not confused, knowing, knowing and believing that the ultimate author was the Holy Spirit himself. But uh, I think the author just simply are showing us that these angels, as far as just observation con was concerned, just looking at them, they were to be categorized, they were to be described as men, even though they were direct angels, even though they had very, very special power. Uh, but we know, obviously, that that power was also limited in some ways. So I just find this Genesis 18 and 19 just a, a very important passage in the whole thought process or study of, of angels, just the, the way they, they can appear, their, their power, their representing God, um, their ability to, to communicate, uh, and so forth. I find that a lot, there's a lot, of a lot of information in this particular story about angels and men and how powerful they are. And let's turn on over to Exodus 25. Again, these are not the only references to the word angel. You may have some in between the ones I've chosen. I've just chosen some just to look at um, for our references here. Um, Exodus 25, and uh, pick up the reading with, with verse um, 18. Uh, this, is, this is describing, obviously, the uh, construction of the tabernacle in the during the wilderness wanderings. And uh, this particular uh, description is the mercy seat that which sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Um, in, I'll read verse 17 of, of Exodus 25. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. Now this really is not a theological observation, but have you ever stopped to think about the skill that went in that, in that verse that's described, uh, described there? Um, as I understand it, they took a lump of gold and by carefully working it uh, with hammer and making it, making it uh, hot with, with the beating of the hammer, that they shaped it from a lump of coal into a this beautiful mercy seat, beautiful slab of gold with two cherubs, as, as whatever God gave them for descriptions of these two cherubs at either, at either end of this uh, mercy seat to watch over it. And, and it, it's all just a, an amazing work of craftsmanship that when that involved here, um, like I said, not not too theological, but just 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 incredible. Um, and I guess again along the way of you know sometimes we might be tempted to think about these people as being I don't know uneducated, ignorant, not capable, whatever. And they are the furthest furthest thing from that uh, all the way around. They're just you know they just were God of course gave these men this special talent, but they were just uh, you know. Uh, specifically gifted and talented as God did that with them. And beginning with verse 20 again, and the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one to another, 
The face of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. So we have cherubs, two cherubs, which become cherubim, when it's described here also. Uh, and they are in a similar fashion to the first reference we found to them back to Genesis chapter 3. They're, they're overseers. They're, they're, wa- they're ones that are watching over. They're, they're guardians along the way. And we won't look at the passage this morning, though we'll look at it again later. There are also references here in this description of the, of the cherubs as one of the layers of the tabernacle, one of the, one of the coverings of the tabernacle, uh, had uh, the forms of cherubim or cherubs uh, woven into that covering, and they were, they were actually then in a position where they were guarding, by picture at least, guarding over the entire holiness and sanctity of the, of the tabernacle proper inside of it along the way. So, so God had a very, very, has a very, very special function, a very, very special place for cherubs uh, in his, in his uh, context and what he's describing here. And then, if, then on over to uh, 1 Samuel 24. Well, I was obviously not going to get through my list here, so I guess we'll probably pick up with this next time. But uh, 1 Samuel 24. Excuse me, it's Second Samuel. And I'm eventually going to get there if I can just get my pages to separate. One of those many things I have discovered, for whatever reason, as I've gotten older, my fingers don't do it as well as I used to. First, Second Samuel 24, excuse me, verse 16. Um, I'll just pick up with verse 15. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time from Dan to Beersheba, which is just covering the geography that was covered. 70,000 men of the people died, and when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough, now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. And so we just have here just a, to begin with, just a reference to a messenger of God that is then later identified as the angel of the Lord. And again, some of what he does indicates to me that, again, we're talking about deity here. We're talking about God himself in, uh, appearing in this particular uh, form or whatever. And then finally, we'll just close with, uh, if you'll turn over to Isaiah 6, reference that John has made when we were talking about the other portions of the study. <clears throat> Isaiah 6. Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. 
So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken, from the tongues, taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. So we have a pretty complete description of seraphim there. Um, and uh, again, some of the descriptions of these created spirit beings is, is unique in its description. Some of the, the living beasts, the living creatures uh, found in the book of Revelation fall into the same kind of category where the, the physical appearance that they have is um, amazing, overwhelming almost, and so forth. So just a few brief looks at what the scripture has to teach us about the subject of uh, created spirit beings or angels. Um, we have just have uh, gotten so comfortable and so used to using the word angels that there's no use trying to fight it. Um, it is just the word that we that is commonly referred to, uh, even if somebody's referring to a specific phase of them, uh, uh, like, like the cherubs or the seraphs. Um, they're, they're all lumped in our minds under the subject of, uh, under the word or title angels. So we're, we're just going to continue to use that also. I'm not going to try to to be, you know, real technical or precise about it. We'll just uh, refer to them as angels as we move through. So I encourage you maybe to use your concordance this week and look up a few places uh, about about angels. Um, recently, um, Beverly was doing some Bible reading, and she said to me, what does this verse mean? <laughs> and it, it, was a, it was a verse to angels. I'm sure she, I got the question because she thought I, I should know the answer now. Um, but uh, so, you know, maybe just, you know, just think about it. Just, just get out your concordance and, and look up the word angel and look at a few of the references. Um, so um, that's where we're headed. Um, I would say to you that if there is some part of the study of angels or even later in the, the, the proposed study of Satanology or demonology that you are specifically interested in, maybe would like to make sure that I cover it, you would make a note of it and hand it to me. I'd try to make sure it's incorporated into, into the curriculum. I can't, I don't think I can cover everything about angels in, in, the cor- in the matter of this particular study, so I might overlook something that's important to you. So if there's that, something that important to you that you would like us to look at it, um, you know, like I said, share it with me. I'll try to include it in the curriculum. If I can't include it in the curriculum, I'll try to make time to talk to you about it or whatever so that you can have information on that particular a portion of the scripture about, about angels. Okay, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you that you are the God of grace, the God of mercy. We pray again for your sustaining grace today for the Fouts family. Um, no matter how much we know that someone has um, passed from this life into, into your dear presence, and how, no matter how much we know that somebody has escaped the sufferings and the limitations of this world, there's always that void in our lives, there's always that time of, of grief and, and pain and sorrow. And so I do pray for, uh, again, for Pastor Joe and for the entire uh, family that, and for each of us that's in, been impacted at one point in time by Grandma Betty's life, that we will be encouraged by the fact that she is in no longer need of our prayer. Um, but I pray that you will just also sustain those and again as i said just use this time to be a testimony to those around her in jesus name amen